Welcome to the Liberation Lab podcast, insights and interviews for the disruptive educator. I'm excited to have my guest. I want to let him introduce himself. Why don't you tell the people who you are, what you do, and why you do it? Uh, my name is Donovan Taylor Hall. I am a youth educator and youth speaker. Uh, my work revolves around helping kids uh, build good relationships with themselves, uh, specifically around how they treat themselves and how that impacts how they view themselves. Um, why I do what I do is, <laughs> that's such a huge question. Yeah. I don't know. I just think that we're in desperate need of an expansion on what kids are are being taught and, and how that connects back to them. And I see such a disconnect mm -hmm. in education with identity formation, which is something that all kids need support in. Um, and so positive development is a huge, huge part of my life. It's a big part of my background. And taking positive youth development and bringing it into schools and, and transforming it into curriculum uh, has been something I've been really passionate about. But now I'm speaking and doing it in six different areas to just reach as many kids as I can. But uh, that's my ultimate goal. Awesome. Uh, sounds, sounds busy, but rewarding <laughs> all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I, I love to call myself lazy. And we were talking about this earlier. It's yeah. so unfair, uh, but I just grew up having very high expectations of myself uh, and trying to find safety and being good. And so having yeah. to do all of this work on my own, especially after my work took off and I got a lot of positive attention for it, uh, it's been tough to navigate realistic and kind and compassionate expectations for myself uh, and make space for celebrating growth which is like all the things I do with kids, but trying yeah. to do it for myself is a little bit tougher. It's so interesting to hear you say that. And uh, thank you for sharing that for, for me. As you were talking, I couldn't help but hear or, or echoes of myself, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like I have been um, very much so high performing, but if I'm not careful, it's because I'm, running from something rather than existing. You know you what I mean? Wanna, you don't want to open that can. With <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And 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 for me as a young person and and even when I work with kids, especially high achieving kids, it's it's it feels like it's often grounded in this is why I'm valued and this is why and this is how I find safety. And so it's like if I'm not you know, doing 150%, then I'm not going to be valued. And if I'm not valued, then I'm not safe. And I don't know if yeah. people are cognitively or consciously thinking about it that way. But for me, that's what it was, was like, yeah. you be good. And, and when you're struggling and, and when you're not good, don't let people see that. And even though I have so much compassion and love and support in my life, that voice has, has been such a huge one in my life for so long that it's taken a lot of work to really challenge it in a compassionate and understanding way. Yeah. So let's, on the heels of that, let's travel back through time to little Donovan going Donnie. and traversing school. Um, talk to me about your, your K to 12 experience. Um, and the, I guess on the heels of that, as you look back to the person that you were, like from your vantage point now, yeah. what advice would you have given yourself? Uh, so K through 12, I don't know. I just felt so disconnected from my learning experience. I just mm -hmm. feel like there was not, I can't pinpoint many moments 
in in my education where I really felt like I was being seen or felt like I found myself. I grew up in a um, predominantly white area at the time, um, even though my school was very mixed. Uh, the area I grew up in did not look like me. And um, I always felt and was told that I had to do more and had to kind of be more. Um, I, I think one of the biggest things I've never really talked about, but it's really relevant in my life right now, is that when I thought about my grades, I would always be like, I had all A's and one B, and the B was math. And I just hyper-focused on that. When in reality, all A's and a B is good, yeah. right? That didn't last all the way until high school. I started to get a little wild in high school and it fell off a little bit. But yeah. I remember I hyper-focused on getting a B and and not being good enough. And yeah. like, no one in my life was really giving me a hard time about it except for myself. Mm -hmm. um, and so for, for me, school um, just didn't really help me understand myself. And if anything it kind of created a, a disconnect from myself because I was just really hard on myself um, and I really struggled to ask for support when I needed it. And that led into some, you know, really dangerous and problematic behaviors as a young person. Um, but I think, you know, if I had to give myself any advice, it would just be get help. That would be mm. it. It would be get and allow help in. Um, yeah. I was really good at hiding. Like that was a thing I did. I, I hid it a lot. My friends knew I was a little bit of a mess, especially in high school. But um, my whole middle school experience, I was really, really depressed. And at the same time, I started to become more social. Then suddenly, that's when I started to have friends. And I realized I was a little bit of like a charmer. And, you know, I could have community around me. And I would go home and just be really sad and and I would hide it from my friends and I would hide it from my family. And it didn't really start to, I don't think people started to realize it until I started to, you know, use substances and stuff when I got older and, and the mask came down a little bit. Um, mm. I just wish I would have, I don't know. It's just tough. It's, it, it's hard to tell little me to get help because how would I have, you know, right. that, that's the tough part. I was just thinking about, self-care today this sounds like a tangent but it's connected i was thinking Absolutely. about self-care and in the ways that we're like oh go to therapy or, or get a massage and it's like what if you don't have access to those resources and as young people um especially growing up as like a black boy i didn't feel like there were spaces or opportunities for me to be held and seen and so when i had experiences like that in college i felt like a kid like i would have these huge like just outpours of emotion and, and, and yeah. struggle and, and suffering kind of come out in these spaces because it was the first time. So I don't look back and say, get help. Like I messed up and I should have been doing better. I almost kind of want to go back in time and ask the people in my life to help me. I don't yeah. really, if I could say anything to little Donnie, it's I love you and I see you and I'm sorry that you're sad. But I, I don't think that a lot of that responsibility fell on me and it's tough. It, it's tough to kind of acknowledge that. I I really want to jump in here because what you're saying is almost like I'm so in sync with what you're saying because there are many educators who will listen to this and in their mind, maybe they can't wrap their brain around individuals like you or myself who couldn't go, who couldn't, right? Like it's one thing to say, this is a safe space and to call it that. 
-hmm. It's quite another to labor, to reflect and to refine, to make it a safe space. Right. I think about it like it's, it's one thing to go to the doctor's appointment and get the checkup. It's quite another to to be safe enough to say, this is where it hurts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and much like yourself, I was in situations where, you know, turmoil at home, well, for me, turmoil at home, and it kind of was masked in how how well I performed. Uh, it was masked in me participating in athletics. It was masked in me being, uh, you know, the nice guy. And, and because it was an escape... I never really dealt with anything. It was almost like this performance in school was my drug of choice. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think I've told this on the podcast, but um, when I was in my senior year, we did superlatives, like the most likely to, and I got most likely to brighten your day. And I went on stage and I was wearing a diaper because I was dressed up as Tommy uh, from Rugrats, which is yeah, Tommy Pickles. And I left to go to the bathroom afterwards and I sobbed in the bathroom. Wow. Uh, and I just thought, how could, pe- how can people see me this way? Like when I just feel so unhappy and it, and it was just such a huge disconnect. And yeah. I think um, I was very emotional as a kid and I was very tough on myself being a boy. Also knowing that I was queer and being called out for that, especially from the few black communities that I was a part of, like to toughen yeah. up. The first time I got a haircut, I was called a fruitcake when I was like 10 and I cried in the barber shop. And, and I used to just be so mean to myself about it. It was like, why are you crying? Like I couldn't hold it in. I would cry in the middle of school. Like if I, yeah. if there was something that happened, I would cry and people would see it. And as an adult uh, recently, well, about seven years ago, I did a, um, a youth development training and it talked about ACEs, adverse childhood yeah. experiences. And it talked about like the death of a parent being a huge one and the trauma that that can cause. And I cried in that meeting because it was like, yo, how, how could I have been so mean to myself when I lost my dad when I was six? Mm-hmm. Right. Like by the time I was out of high school, I had been to maybe five funerals in my life uh, of people that I loved, of men that I loved. Yeah. And, but when I was a kid, I didn't know how to process that. And, and it's, it's tough. I, I wanted to, when I first started working with kids, I really wanted kids to, to do personal development and be like, be your best you. And then when I realized was that a lot of the, the gold in my work came from providing space for them to be who they are and to be seen how they are and to be held in whatever they need in that moment. And so, so much of my work has shifted from, you know, very like, why, uh, you know, um, I was going to say something else, very like personal development, you know, pull yeah. yourself up, right? Like yeah. motivation. You are the, you are the person that leads your life and stuff to take care of yourself and be good to yourself and be kind to yourself because how you treat yourself determines how you show up in the world. And, and as, as my relationship with myself got, as I got older and I got meaner and I was harsher towards myself, And some of it started to spill out into the people around me, but mainly just Mm. being really hard on myself. I didn't, I didn't give myself any compassion or space because I suddenly knew, you know, that this is how I was showing up and you need to do better. You need to be better and don't let people see you be weak. And, and it just makes me, 
it makes me sad to think that that's how I felt about myself as a young person. When in reality, I had every reason in the world to be sad and, and to, and to be held in that sadness. And maybe if I had some more space and some more support around the grief and the, the struggle that I had, maybe it wouldn't have felt so out of control. Maybe I would have felt more in control of who I was and, and more in control of, of my emotions and what I do yeah. with them. You, um, you know, in bold letters, as you look at your site and we'll make sure we link all your stuff in the show notes, but there's a quote that obviously, obviously stands out and it's like kids who, who feel better, do better. Yeah. I think about this and I could hear what I'm going to name the cynical educator say, you're asking for me to do something else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I got hired as a teacher. My job is to, is to transmit this information from one party to the next. That is what I get paid to do. And here you are asking me again, on the heels of all the things we talk about, build relationships, make connections. And it just feels like I'm being asked to do so much. Yeah. Um, from that space, I would like to launch into a conversation about what it really means to let kids feel better, do better. Yeah. What would you say to that educator? Go ahead. I get it. <laughs> First of all, I understand. Um, yeah. I think I've been really trying to lift up positive youth development work. Um, that's how I got started. It was in after school programs. It was in places like the YMCA boys and girls club, summer camps. I'm about to go to summer camps for a whole month starting tomorrow. Um, because that was a place where the motivation around working with kids was different, different and more kind of set. And we want to help you grow and we want to help you feel positive. And so much of what I learned is what I took into teaching. And so hmm. I got a lot of pushback from teachers. Even when the today show came to my school, I had teachers talking trash about me to the kids even though mm. everyone, I know kids were coming up and telling me and I, and I was like, everyone at the school knew that this was this dream of mine that I'd had since the day I came to that school. Yeah, I was like, I don't find, I don't want to be an educator forever because I don't know how to balance data and balance expectations that are put on teachers with the work that it sometimes feels kind of, it feels yeah. difficult to do together. But, and, and teaching in a school for three years, I found that it was so it was possible to focus on relationship building and connection building. And when I started to think about behaviors that are really disruptive, what I've seen and what I've heard about, especially after the pandemic is, is it sounds like, it sounds like a lot, it sounds like a lot to deal with. And yeah. um, especially when it comes to the disrespect. And I think back to an experience I had, and I'll share it with you if you're open. Please. I had a, at one of the schools I taught at, we had a teacher who came in and had very different opinions about structure and agreements, like saying the kids, giving kids rules is dictatorship and blah, blah, blah. And, and I heard her and I was like, look, like I hear you, but also like structure is healthy and it's important. And when there's structure that's grounded in care and love, from my perspective, it creates safety and, and safety lets kids be kids. 
and she she pushed back on it and eventually it was just chaos in that classroom like things were just being destroyed they she was getting into fights with the kids they were getting into fights with her she was disrespecting them they were disrespecting her they were destroying the space and eventually she left the school and i had been there with this group they were eighth graders and i'd had them in seventh grade and i was in a position where i was teaching my own curriculum with a co-teacher and eventually my boss basically kind of just begged me to take that position over and it was like a a subject that i was not i was like bro i have no idea like art gives me anxiety i don't even and he was like look he said to me it doesn't really even matter what you teach they just need you in that space like they need a space because it feels so bad for so many of the kids mm -hmm. before she quit we had like 10 kids do like a walkout of our classroom, like a state, like a staged, we won't be in this class with this teacher. So it was a lot wow. of really negative feelings. And when we came back to that space, the first thing that I did with them is that we just had a circle and we just shared about the damage and harm that they had felt. And the first day, that's what we focused on. And the second day we came back and they, we went around the circle, the whole class period, it took it up. Kids were open and honest. I do think that's because I'd already built a lot of relationships with these kids. And so they knew yeah. me and they knew that this was the place where they could be safe to talk about this and they weren't going to be punished or judged. Yeah. And then they started to lean deeper into harm in general. And they started to focus on harm that they caused to her. They focused on harm that they caused to each other. And they focused on harm that they caused to the space. And we spent about two to three days per class just talking about this. And I could see such a relief in the kids from owning, from first of all, being heard and, and, and not having it shifted, but just like saying we felt harmed and we didn't feel good about being in this class. And then we, we just redesigned, we cleaned the entire room. I had the mm -hmm. kids design, that's my first art project. I had them design a room layout, they could vote on it. Like, what do you wanna have in this space to help you feel better? And we spent about two weeks thinking about agreements, thinking about what behaviors help create safety. And after that, it was just great. I mean, we didn't mm -hmm. have any discipline issues in that class for five months because then we went on break because of pandemic. And I just thought about how that they were being seen and how they were being treated because of that class was deeply affecting how they were showing up. And a lot of them were really quick to say we caused harm and I feel bad about this and we were disrespectful and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and helping them kind of shift to like, okay, well, what does respect look like to you? I just think about that experience because it was such a powerful moment in, in helping the kids shift how they felt about themselves and what had happened in that space. And then to see them take leadership and ownership of it, it, it was just really beautiful. I think about high achieving kids too yeah um because often we look at grades like i had good grades and i was a wreck as a kid and yes. that's because for me education was a hundred percent extrinsic i did not mm. go to school being like i want to learn i went to school to get good grades to make my mom happy right i didn't get in trouble because i never had bad grades growing up or you know lower grades growing up but then as I started to realize that my friends liked how I acted when I was silly or being friendly, it was like 100%, I'm doing this to make people happy. 
there was yeah. no part of me. I didn't feel excited about my education until I was in grad school. And I spent one night after taking an educational psychology class, I spent a night in the, uh, the university library just printing out hundreds of articles and just being excited and being like this, this, this confirms this theory I have like this, this is research, there's evidence. And I, and I remember thinking, this is the first time I've ever really felt connected to my education without a extrinsic kind of, you know, fear of, am I messing up or I don't want to, you know, let people down or like I have to do good. And it, it took me till grad school to feel that way. And I got yeah. good grades. And so when I work with kids on how they feel about themselves, some of the most anxious kids that I meet, some of the most depressed kids that I talk with are sometimes the kids who have good grades. They're the kids who are putting a, a crazy amount of pressure on themselves. Yes. And I, I've had parents be shocked when I've shared that with them. They're like, I don't, I don't care. I love them no matter what. And, and I'm like, well, that's not what they're telling themselves. Right. And yeah. so they're getting good grades, but their good grades are to make other people happy. And I feel like that is a lot of what education has become. It feels very extrinsically motivated. Um, I yes. have to get good grades because that's how I'm valued or I have to get good grades because I don't want to get a consequence. And yes. I can't blame them. I can't blame them because how many opportunities do young people have in school to really connect with themselves and to connect to help them understand what this says about who they are and or what this says about who they could be. I don't know if there's many opportunities for that. But in that class with those those kids, they had a chance to be healers. They had a chance yeah. to to be to be a team. They were not all friends. And I told them that's great. Like, that's fine. <laughs> like, right. I don't go to jobs and I'm friends with everybody, but you, we do have to have a level of respect and care for each other. And, and I was able to see them in that. And we had, I'm so sad we went on pandemic for a lot of reasons, but just because we had worked so hard and I say we, as in the kids and me, I gave structure, but they did, I would say 99% of the work. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that answers the question. No, I think there's... It does in, in so many ways. A um, couple of thoughts as I was listening. One, my, my heart is beaming uh, as someone who is a practitioner of and a firm believer in restorative practices for mm -hmm. schools. And the idea that we created space to acknowledge and own the harm and then make the, the, the proper repairs to relationships to create space for wholeness I would, I think in that example is uh, the encouragement for that cynical teacher, because what the cynical teacher may not know is, or may not be thinking about is when they kick a kid out, write them up, send them to the office, the kid comes back, they get an argument with the kid, they write him up, they kick him out, that kid comes back at some other time, maybe they got suspended or whatever, they kick the kid out. Like all of that is time. So you're going to spend time somewhere. Mm -hmm. The question is, is the time you're spending going to be towards some level of wholeness, healing and repair, or is it going to be towards destruction and disconnection? Yeah. yeah. And you cannot choose to be neutral in that. Mm -hmm. There is no neutrality. Like our educational system does not allow for neutrality because if you are silent, then, it's, then the system continues to work for the dehumanization of everyone involved. Uh -huh. 
And so I wanted to say that first. Secondly, I wanted to say like, just brother, I see you and, and I'm so grateful to be in this space sharing around this concept with you, around this idea with you, because even as you were talking about this, the extrinsic motivation, like that was much of, and it wasn't until grad school that I really connected with learning. Like I felt your words helped me feel seen and, and thereby seeing you. Um, I, I've told this story before, but I'm sharing with you. I was one of two black kids in the honors program at the school I had growing up. And I was in sixth grade. My mom had gone through, uh, which would have been the second divorce that I knew about. Mm. I was really angry, really, really angry. Um, and I had no place to talk about it. So I just performed in school because that's what you do, but it was coming out um, and how I handled myself. Um, it's sixth grade too. So it's the beginning of that just awkward phase, uh, which is where I serve, right? I'm, a, I'm an admin in, in middle school. So I see it all the time. Um, but to fast forward the story, I got B's and C's for the majority of that year. And then the fourth market period buckled down got A's and B's. And this is back when you could write on the report card mm -hmm. and the teacher writes that this student does not belong in the gifted and talented program. Oh. Uh, still remember, still remember her handwriting, remember how it looked, remember how I felt. And those words haunted me for much of my academic career up until grad school, where I actually believed in myself and my capability and was doing it for me because it was motivated by my purpose and my passion and my identity, right? As a, as an educator, um, a part of my identity as an educator, which brings me to this question for us. There's an educator right now listening and is like, yes, I'm with you. We want to create that space. What do I do? How, how do I do this? What's the beginning stages? You know, so if you could offer some, you know, some, some help for that educator, what would you say? I think I, when I started sharing my TikToks and stuff and uh, even like my coaching sessions with kids, you don't see the kind of pre-work that happens. It's like, wow, you just pull these out of kids and it's like, that's not true. And also yeah. before I share any of those videos, I send them to the kids, I send them to their parents, I send them to the kids again. And I'm like, is there anything in this? Are you sure? And they're like, usually they're like, yeah. And I've had kids be like, no, I don't want to share that. And I'm like, okay, great. It's gone. Right. But mm. for me, there's so much importance in just setting up what that space looks like. One of the biggest things that took me a couple of seconds every time I did it was just like articulating what the point of my role was, mm -hmm. um, articulating care. I care about you. I tell the kids I love them. That's because my school was very okay with that. I also know that some people feel weird about that. I don't think yeah. you should ever force someone to say, I love you if you don't feel comfortable with it. Right. But I love is a huge character strength of mine. It's a huge core value. And I was in a place where it was accepted. And, but I, I think care is really important. I care about you. I care about you no matter what 
is going on. I care about you when you're performing. I care about you when you're learning. I care about you when you're struggling and just creating that foundation and, and trying to check in with kids um, as much as I can whenever there's a chance to let them know that I see them and I appreciate them. And so when, yeah. because every kid that I love, you know, all my kids in the back from the years of working with kids, yeah, they had struggles, they made mistakes, they messed up, they caused harm to other people. And when I had to have tough conversations with them, especially the kids that I taught at that school for three years, they knew that it, it might be a tough conversation, but it was grounded in care. Yeah. And they knew for me specifically, it was grounded in love. I even asked the kids one time, what are the points of grade? Like, what is the point of grades? And kids could not tell me. Their mm. answers were all over the place. And very few kids were like, it measures where you're at. And that's when we talked about it, I was like, that's the point of grades. But because of the anxiety and the pressure that gets attached yes. to grades, right? Like we start to devalue ourselves when in reality, it's supposed to be a measure of where you're at. And right. instead it becomes like a safety thing. So just telling kids, you know, what kind of reframing learning for them is really important to me. Yes. I also talk a lot about performing uh, or showing uh, when kids are starting to show that they get the knowledge that that's okay, but that the kids who are not ready to show it's okay for them too. They're still in the learning mm -hmm. phase that helped kids a lot to take chances and to kind of put themselves out there because a lot of kids felt like they'd have to be right. We'd be starting a new unit. And I'm like, what do you all think about this word? And kids would be terrified to answer because they didn't want to be wrong. And so mm -hmm. just being like, hey, this is a new unit. Like, I'm just introducing it to you. Like, it's okay for you to not have the answers. If you had the answers, you would not need to be in school. So you don't need right. to perform just yes. to, to know that I care, right? And so I think I'm a communicator. Communication is really important to me. Uh, but just sharing care, letting them know that this is a place where no matter how you are or what's going on in your life, I care about you and that I'm here. And I had, you know, just so many kids talk, come and talk to me and, and feel open. And I had to have really tough conversations with kids about schoolwork, which I hated because, bro, I don't want to talk to kids about not getting their work done, but I have to because I yep. care about them and I want them to meet, you know, the expectations that we're setting. And, um, it, I think that that was just really important. All the kids I've worked with, the people who are young adults now who are sharing their lives with me and sharing engagement, you know, pictures and sharing kids, which is crazy to me, uh, know that our relationship was grounded and he, you care about us. I even went to a school recently in California and that's one of the biggest pieces of feedback that kids gave me is we felt like you cared about us hmm. and I, and I just, I think it's important to articulate that because kids are often, they're telling themselves stories that are not true. And, and like we were talking about earlier, it's like not on them to unpack that in their heads, right? Yeah. It's like what we are doing, they don't have access to this. Some of the kids might have it. Some kids might have teachers who talk to them, but for the most part, they're just kind of going along just like we did, right? Like this yeah. is how I, this is how I show up. This is how I get, you know safety. This is how I feel valued. Um, another big one, and this is something that a lot of people have pushed back on and I, that's why it's an offer, like leave yeah. it or take it. Yeah. Gratitude has been mm. huge for me. Um, gratitude has built so many relationships with me and, and my students, especially when I can tell you got those kids who are a little bit out of pocket, right? I love those kids. 
and they mm-hmm. can be and they can be powerful forces in the class. Yeah. And so instead of even just pulling them aside and saying, you're a leader, you need to do better or blah, blah, blah. Just being like, I appreciate your humor. Like we can, we can work on it. We can work on the timing, but I really appreciate what your humor brings to class. And, and, yeah. and knowing that it's appreciated, I would see kids start to use it more um, in a positive way. Positive way. Yeah. Writing gratitude, sticky notes to kids. If I can find something I'm grateful for. Uh, I think that that's a deeper way of seeing kids. I also yes. was at a school one time where they were like, let's get to know the kids. And I was like, yes, I, this is my thing. I could tell you all about the kids. I know all yeah. about them. And I was super stoked. And it was like, the assignment was learn three facts about them. And I told them, I was like, look, you can know something about someone and not see them. Like you can know that this person plays soccer. You can know that they like video games. You can know that they have a younger sister, so good. Right. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you see them, but gratitude really says, I see how you are showing up and I appreciate it. And so if there is a way, I understand how much is put on teachers. It's one of the reasons I had to leave the classroom is because it it, it kind of conflicted with what I was trying to teach. Yeah. If there's a way to show kids that you care and to show them that you see them, when they're struggling, they will be more receptive to you. And, and to understand also that when kids push back, they're not just pushing back against you. They're pushing back against society. They're pushing back against administrators. They're pushing back against parents and friends that oftentimes the hardest behaviors are like like the toughest defense mechanisms to get through. And so I've had kids just yelling at me in my face and I'm like, I I care about you. I don't like how you're acting right now, but I get it and I care about you. And then to see them come back two days later and just be there and to see that the care hasn't changed. Um, I made, I made, a mistake with my seventh grade math teacher. I talk, I've talked about her a couple of times. I really liked her. She seemed stressed out all the time. <laughs> like mm. I always felt bad for her because she just seemed so stressed. And yeah. she, we were doing a project. We had to make it, we had to make a quilt and I misspelled a word on my quilt, but I was so proud of it. And she flipped out on me. She had never really, she'd told me to stop talking in class before, but I was like, I get it. She was kind with me with my math. She was really positive. But that one time, when she told me that I ruined it and that how could I make a mistake like that? I just mm. never bounced back with her from then. And I completely checked out in that class every time I came in there because I was so embarrassed that I let this teacher who I liked down and she was probably having a tough day and she probably mm. had a lot of stuff going on. But if she would have came and just said, I'm sorry, like I, it would have, it would have helped me to yes. restore that, but there was no restoration. And so for the rest of for the rest of my career or my educational career in math, I had a lot of anxiety of don't mess up, don't mess up. Right. And, and yeah. pushing away from math and pushing away from math teachers because I was so hurt in that, in that little, little interaction that we had. Yeah. As I, as I was listening to you, you know, for educators listening, I hear and feel free to feel anything I might be missing. I hear first um, that a lot of what we do can uh, run amok if we have uncommunicated expectations. Sometimes we assume that our uh, our way of handling things, the way that we are, you know, a student could come in, for example, I'm in middle school, so seventh grade, they should know this by now, but why are we assuming that they know uh, that they have the same understanding? And why are we assuming that their understanding aligns with what the expectation is? Mm. Right? 
So, so there's that. Two, creating space for for care, creating space for belonging. The how in that would be what you talked about with practicing gratitude. I think educators need to practice that first and foremost with themselves. Mm-hmm. 100%. Um, what are you thankful for? And yeah, obviously, I know like this is all the stuff that you talk about, and and I'm grateful for the ways you share so bravely and wisely in this space because we have so many educators that have, you know, we are trained to have a PhD in our understanding of everyone else, but yet don't have a bachelor's in our understanding of self. Yep. Yep. Um, and so to create that space where kids can ask questions, be curious, for us to be curious when we see these behaviors, mm-hmm. when, the, when there is this respect, right? Um, I've said this before and I wrote about it, but like if a kid goes to a doctor and complaining about a stomach ache and they throw up, the doctor doesn't say you need more discipline. Mm -hmm. The doctor gets curious because he expects sick kids to come to him Mm -hmm. in the same way. Kids are going to emotionally throw up. They're going to show you different pieces of who they are. And sometimes that doesn't necessarily connect with where we are, but if we would just get curious enough to ask better questions rather than rushing immediately to punitive discipline and all the other toxic behaviors we have in school, I, I wonder what would be different. You know, I wonder what would be changed. I, I also think, I think we need to start thinking about kids relationship with learning and, and what yes. learning means to them. I, this is like maybe an unpopular opinion, but I don't like having a good relationship with the kids in my class did not mean that they loved my class or like the subject that they were learning. You know what I mean? Like having care didn't suddenly activate this thing in them that they're like, now I'm the perfect student, but I saw them being influenced by the way that they felt in that class. And I saw them taking chances and taking risks and I saw them communicating in really powerful ways. And so even if they don't go on, to, to study science or go on to do something with math or to do something with history, they are going to remember how they felt in that class. I ask my kids a lot, like, what was your favorite thing you learned in my class? And they tell me like the wildest stuff that I know for a fact I never taught them. And it was not because I was like, yeah, what? They're like, you told me to stand up for myself. You told me to never take somebody else's bubble. You told me to be kind to yourself. I'm thinking about my curriculum. And I was like, that was never the curriculum. But it was the way that they felt and the way that they saw me as the person that they cared about or the person that was teaching them, how I treated them, how I treated other people, when I apologized for things, when I would own up, when I would ask questions, when I was unsure those were the spaces that I really started to see kids come out of their shell and, and then they would have aha moments. But I think that I have, I have parents reach out all the time and say, I just want you to get them to like school. And I'm like, no, (laughs) I didn't really like school. So I'm not going to try to force your kid to like school, but we can talk about their relationship with learning. What does learning mean to you? Learning should not be about safety. Learning should be about expansion and growth. And if we want kids to grow there's so much opportunity in the way that we can show them compassion and kindness and, mm. and influence them versus manipulate them. Yes. And, and that's why I had to, you know, I, I did the work I did with the kids. I, I am always shocked to hear what kids have taken away from my class, mm. but I'm always happy to hear what they've taken away because it's what they needed at that time. Um, yeah, mm. I think, I, I just think, 
Yeah. I, I, I don't want to get too deep into it, but we just need to help kids with their humanity more. We need to help kids to be nicer to themselves because I see so much hate and I see so much anger and yeah. so much of that is coming from a place of a lack of, of feeling safe, whether they're threatened by new things, whether it's fixed mindset, right? There's so much lack of, of compassion and humanity. But I think that that compassion and humanity kind of lives in the thriving space. And when you're just trying to survive, it's very difficult to ask people to achieve those things. So I didn't see my kids thrive in my class until they felt like, okay, I'm not just surviving here, right? I'm safe. Like this is yeah. a good place for me to be. And then I can start to take chances and I can start to put myself out there more. I can start to do these things that really help me expand as a person versus really fitting into those boxes. Um, like I said, if I would have had a program when I was younger, the first time I did a leadership program, I was like, what is this? Why did I not know about this? Why was I never involved in this? But if yeah. I would have had some space to just, to just talk about how I felt as a young person, how much that could have helped me expand earlier versus shrinking, um, shrinking my inner self and, and really building up an artificial outer self, which I just see kids and adults do so much. So right now I think this work is more important than ever. If I was a yeah. kid and I was watching social media or the news, I would be so distraught all yeah. the time with how the adults are acting. Yeah. And these same adults who turn around and then try to force kids to, to be nice to each other and to be kind and to listen. Like we need to check our expectations for ourselves as adults. Like we need to have an agreement making session with the adults in this country because that's what they're watching. Absolutely. That's what they're watching. They think that they, we think that they're, being swayed by all these different subjects and blah, blah, blah. But in reality, they're watching how we are treating each other. They're watching the, the division and the anger and the, the lack of compassion that is happening. And then, then they're going to, that's, that's what they're going to grow into. Right. So that's why I do my work. I mean, full circle, going back to what we said, that's my why is because we can't have, we can't succeed as humans if we're all moving from a place of fear and and we need to be moving from a place of humanity but that also that means that we have to challenge the systems that kind of just keep us in the survival status versus the thriving status especially for black and brown kids especially yes. for black and brown boys especially for lgbtq kids yes. like the people the people who are already up against so many ideas of who they're supposed to be they need that space and that care and that love the most um i wonder two things as we round out our time first Brother, I want to thank you um, for this time and for this space. I There are moments uh, since I've been doing this where you bring people on and you, you, you know, you interview them and you talk and it's great. And there's a great connection. You kind of move on. But there are other times where it's like almost therapeutic for you. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is one of those moments. So I just want to I want to thank you. Uh, for how you show up um, every time I've seen you you have been consistently you and I appreciate that it's refreshing in the world that we live in so I just want to thank you and encourage you to keep keep fighting this fight uh, we need you out here um, and, and the work that you do um, can I just hold a mirror up to you <laughs> I'm serious I'm serious you know and, and, and I want to say to you too how validating it feels Right. I think that we focus on individualistic kind of ideas and a lot. Yeah. It's this one person and 
and the best, I've said this a thousand times, but the best thing that has come from me getting to share my work on larger platforms was connecting with people who are doing the work to just mm. know that it's not just me, that it's the work, right? Yes. Yes. And that takes some of that pressure off, but also it's just nice to know people speak your language and people get it, right? Yeah. I had somebody say to me at a party, who cares about how kids feel? And I literally had to remind myself that I could catch an assault charge for punching someone. Because yes. <laughs> I was like, oh, but I was like, no, he doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. And I'm not going to yeah. add at him about that. So I, I'm really grateful for this opportunity to talk with you and the community that you've cultivated. And I appreciate so much, especially growing up as someone who didn't feel black enough who didn't have a lot of black friends, who was told that I'm not a real educator, like having moments like these with people like you, it really, it really feeds my soul. Mm. So Donovan, how could people get in touch with you, brother? Um, support your work and, and yeah, just get in touch with the awesomeness that is you. So I don't market this enough, but I totally should. Uh, I am yes. a mental health youth speaker uh, through Active Minds. I'll send you that link as well. Um, I do go to schools uh, as my own individual entity, and I have been doing this program where I go for a week to middle schools, and I just spend time with the kids before I do my speech, and it's been so fantastic. And I've just recently got some funding for it, so I'm looking for some schools. Uh, also, Dono friend is what the kids call me uh, because I don't like them calling me Mr. Donovan if I'm not really their teacher. Dono friend is just like a little trendy thing. But if you look up Dono friend, D-O-N-O-F-R-I-E-N-D, it's just me. Like if you type Dono friend into Google, all of my stuff will come up. Uh, yeah. My website, DonovanTaylorHall.com. Uh, has consultation times if you're interested in coaching, if you're interested in uh, youth development speeches. I also do PDs for teachers and parents. Um, but yeah, I think reach out and start a conversation. I'm very open to kind of explore and see what we're doing. And I've got some really great things coming up that I'm super excited to share about. Uh, but until then, yeah, I think the best ways that you can support the work is just sharing it with people who you think it would resonate with. Yeah. Thank you so much, Donovan. And uh, for our listeners, please connect with this brother. He's doing amazing work um, that education sorely needs at this time. So thank you, brother. Thank you. Appreciate you.